Hey guys, we're back. I'm glad you stuck around. We're going to have a great time tonight. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this message because this is really something that I'm extremely passionate about when it comes to identity. One of the things that I think every Every person in general, but specifically every Christian struggles with, is the aspect of identity. And that's really what I've focused on these last three weeks. And tonight, we're going to wrap everything up. We're going to specifically talk about one aspect of identity. But I'm going to bring all of this together into one final message to wrap together what it means to walk in a gospel identity. So let's get ready to move forward in developing this aspect of identity. You know, the last couple weeks, here's what we've done. I started out with uh, the message called, Who Are You?, which was two weeks ago. And the point of that message was to talk about the importance of identity. Why is identity so important? And then last week, we talked about, you know, how the gospel transforms our identity. That is, that's so, so important. You know, we, we talked a lot about going beyond the aspect of just going to heaven one day. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about it in a context of heaven or hell. But uh, even, you know, obviously, heaven or hell is involved, but it's so much bigger than, than just a heaven or hell issue. The gospel is, is an aspect of what happens to you today, not just tomorrow. And the gospel transforms your identity. It doesn't just transform it. It gives you a brand new identity. And how important it is to walk in that identity are things we talked about last week. So this week, those two set us up for what I want to talk about tonight. And tonight I'm going to talk about how God transforms our character. So we've talked about identity. Uh, we've talked about the gospel. We're going to talk about character tonight. And then I'm going to bring all of them together in one comprehensive approach to what really discipleship is all about. Because discipleship isn't just a matter of changing what you know or changing what you think. It's much more about changing how you think, and it's a matter of changing your character. Uh, it's changing just your entire worldview um, you know, how you view yourself, how you view God, how you view others, how you view life in general. It creates this brand new lens, if you will, through which you view all of life. And it's that transformation that leads to a life of discipleship. And it's discipleship, discipleship that leads you into the life of purpose for which God created you. So that's where I, where I want to go tonight. There, there's a lot of things I'll recap but uh, it's all built, or uh, building blocks, if you will, to get to where we are. So let's open in prayer, and then we will get started on bringing all this together on how God transforms your character. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation, Lord. And we just... Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this relationship that we have with you through Jesus Christ, by which you, you, Lord, you don't just call us to uh, do things as a disciple. Lord, you call us to become a disciple. And it's not just a calling to become, Lord. You have given us the means by which we can become the person you created us to be, the person you have called us to be, and Lord, the person who walks in that purpose, that, that God-given purpose, that kingdom purpose that will bring about the abundant life you promised. So Lord, tonight I pray for each and every person who's listening. Lord, I pray, pray for each and every person uh, who's watching at home or wherever they're watching, Lord, or whether it's tonight or some other time they're listening or watching. Father, that your Holy Spirit Lord, would open their minds, Lord, open their understanding to receive a word from you, to receive the truth of the gospel from you, and how you are working in their life right now, Lord. It's not something that's happening tomorrow or next week. It's right this very minute, Lord. And I pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that spirit of peace to know how much you love them and how much you desire for them to become who you have called them to be. 
So Lord, I thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so let's get started. One of the things I want to start off with, obviously, is Scripture. And we've talked about uh, a couple different Scriptures over the last few weeks, and I want to bring all of these together. There's three specific Scriptures that we've talked about. We've talked about Acts, the story of the seven sons of Siva. We've talked about Romans, where Paul talks about, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we've talked about Hebrews 4.12 where the writer of Hebrews talks about the Word of God, that it's spiritually alive, it's living and active, and it has this ability to discern or reveal the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I want to go into these and use these sort of as a recap of what we talked about over the last few weeks. So let's start with Acts chapter 19. So if, if you didn't hear the message a couple of weeks ago, I encourage you to go back, listen to that full message in regards to these, these particular scriptures, because I lay out the importance of identity in general. But I do it from this, the context of this story in Acts chapter 19. And here in Acts chapter 19 is the story of the seven sons of Siva. Basically what's happening is Paul and the other apostles are out, they're ministering, they're, they're preaching the kingdom of God, and they're also uh, declaring the name of Jesus and healing people who are demon-possessed. And the demons are, are submitting to Paul and the other apostles, and they're coming out of these people. And uh, the, the itinerant Jewish exorcists are seeing this, and they're trying to do the same thing. And part of the, that group was the seven sons of Siva, but the interesting thing is, when, when they try and do it, they don't do it in the same way Paul does it. They go to somebody who is demon-possessed and say, hey, um, I, I exercise you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. You know, when we talked about the aspect of trying to live out somebody else's faith, you know, whether it be your pastor's faith, or in this case, they're trying to live out a faith that Paul had in Jesus, and that just doesn't work. And of course, in the story of the seven sons of Siva, they end up being overpowered by the demon, and the end result is they they end up spiritually naked and defeated. And you know, and that's where a lot of Christians are, spiritually naked and defeated, because they're living out uh, a a gospel or a relationship with Jesus that uh, they see their pastor or they see their mother or a friend or somebody else living, but they don't have it personally. And I, I don't mean necessarily they're not a Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. So that's where we started. And in the midst of that whole encounter with the seven sons of Siva, one of the questions the demon asks the seven sons is, who are you? Who are you? And you know, life asks us that question all the time. People ask us that question. And we have to be able to answer that question because if we can't answer the question, who are you, that's when we end up spiritually naked and defeated. So that's the foundation. That's where we started. We've got to be able to answer that question. And that's a question of identity. It's not a question of, you know, sometimes you ask a person, you know, uh, what do you do? And, you know, maybe, you know, I, I work for this company or I have this type of job. That's not a question of identity. A question of identity is who are you? Not what do you do? And a lot of times, I think we've forgotten how to answer that question. We're so used to identifying who we are with what we do. And if that changes or something happens, especially right now, you're, we're in the middle of the greatest pandemic uh, in a generation, and a lot of people lost their jobs, or their schedules have changed, or they've moved into a new job. And In that type of circumstance, a crisis circumstance, we have to answer the question, who am I? Because things are changing. But who am I on the inside? And how you answer that question will determine your character. And your character will determine your behavior. And that's where I want to go next is in in Romans. You know, Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And that word transformed there in, in, the, in the Greek is metaneo. Uh, I'm sorry, it's metamorpho. I always get those two words backwards. Metaneo is repentance, and that's a whole other message. Metamorpho. Metamorpho is the word we get our word metamorphosis from. 
And that's really what that aspect of transformation is all about. It is a metamorphosis, but it's not an external one. It's, a trans, it's, a, it's an internal transformation, internal metamorphosis of who we become. And that's really what Paul's saying here is do not be conformed to this world, but be uh, transformed. Go through this discipleship process of metamorphosis, of coming out of who you were into who God has called you to become. That's what that is all about. And it's through the process of renewing your mind, but it's more than just, you know, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning here, it's not just about what you think, but it's about how you think. So renewing your mind isn't just a matter of putting a bunch of information in your head. Although information of the word and theology is good, but it's more than that. It's a transformation of how you think. That's that aspect of, of character because character is a makeup of our heart, if you will. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the heart. Um, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, he's talking, not talking about the physical heart. He's talking about the, our basically our very character, our very nature. Uh, we speak out of the character uh, that we have at that time. Well, that character is made up of, uh, is really made up out of our soul. Uh, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, as soon as I get to the, uh, the flip chart. But it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. It is the totality of what we think, feel, and the desires we have. You put all of those three together, and they make up your character. So when, it, when we talk about transformation, uh, we're talking about a transformation at the character level. Because uh, we, as we talked about in the first week, when it comes to the gospel, the gospel completely transforms your spirit. That is totally transformed, 100% fully righteous. The aspect that needs to be transformed in the aspect of discipleship is your character. That's at your soul level. How you think, how you feel, and the desires you have. And then that moves us into the aspect of that Hebrews 4.12, where Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And, you know, we talked about that last week in how the word of God works in conjunction with the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform that identity from your spirit into your soul. And it transforms the way you think, the way you feel, and the desires you have that lead to action. So those are the three, the three scriptures, primary scriptures, that we used uh, over these last two three, two, three weeks. And now what I want to do is I want to step back and walk through all of those from the gospel to the transformation of identity to the transformation of character. And really that's what I'm going to focus on tonight. And that really is the culmination of this whole journey is the transformation of character. Uh, and as, as you'll see here in a second as I get to the, the flip chart and, and look at this in, in an illustrative form, you're going to discover that identity is the foundation of character and character is the foundation of behavior. If you want to change your behavior, if you've got some uh, bad habits, uh, you know, maybe there's just some uh, things in your life, things that you do that you just don't want to do. You know they're just not right. Uh, or, or you're just, man, I just I don't want to do that anymore. We have to experience a transformation at the character level in order to experience a transformation at the behavior level. And a lot of times we look at that the wrong way. We look for an external change rather than an internal one. And when we do that, we're looking in the wrong direction. God wants to transform us on the inside, and that internal transformation then leads to an external transformation, which is the behavior part in what we're talking about. So I'm going to go to the whiteboard, and uh, we're going to walk through these different aspects, gospel, identity, character, and transformation across the board, and how that works, and why you want to experience that. 
because uh, I know each and every person watching right now, there's probably something in your life you can think of right now. Uh, if you can't think of it, I know the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you, saying, you know, this really needs to change in my life on the behavior level. So if you want that to change, here's how that happens. Walk, follow me. We're going right here to the flip chart. All right. So as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the, the very basic foundation of who we are in the sense of our makeup. We're made up of three parts. Body, which is easy. This is the body part, right? And that's going to be represented by this big circle. Then you have the soul. And that's, that's you. It's, it's your personality. You know, this is not me. I'm on the inside. So we're going to do a second circle here. And that's the soul. And then in the very core, everybody has a spirit. So your spirit... Soul, and then body. Now, the soul is made up of the mind, the will, the emotions. Okay. Obviously, mind is pretty straightforward. We know what that is. It's, it's what we think. Okay. Emotions, pretty straightforward. It's, it's how we feel. Okay. Now, the will, this part can be a little nebulous, but basically, the easiest way to understand the will is our desire. You never do something unless you first have a desire to do it, right? Uh, even if it's a sinful desire, there's still a desire there to do something. And that's what, that's the driver of behavior, okay? Now, you, how you think, how you feel certainly inform your desires, right? Because you don't just have a desire on it in and of itself. There's a thought process behind that. There's a feeling behind that. Sometimes the desire sparks a, a thought or a feeling. Sometimes it's the thought or feeling that sparks a desire. It could go either way. But all three of these things are in, uh, integrated together, so they work together in, in that aspect of your character. So I'm going to write character right here. And really, that's what these three are, is your character, okay? You add all three up, you equal character. Now, when we talked about the gospel the first week, we talked about the fact that all of us are born with a sin nature. And what the gospel does is the gospel takes that sin nature out and replaces it with righteousness. And that is what identity is all about. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you're a Christian and you have said yes to Jesus, your spirit is fully righteous and holy in God's sight. And that's, that's what it means in the Bible when it says that the Lord sees you as complete and whole. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right now, you are fully and completely righteous in Jesus' sight. And that, that is your identity. Your identity is not grounded out here. It's grounded right here. This is, what the this is why the gospel is so important. This is how it begins to transform your identity. It literally takes out that old sin nature and replaces it with the righteousness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the soul part, this is where we get into the mess, if you will. This is the messy part of becoming a disciple or discipleship. <clears throat> because righteousness, that's a done deal. But out here... That old sin nature infected the way we think, the way we feel, and the desires we have. So the, the sinful thoughts, sinful feelings, and sinful desires that we have all come from that original sin nature. When God takes that sin nature out, he doesn't necessarily take away the old thoughts, the old feelings, and the old desires. Sometimes he does, but I guarantee you, even, even for people who, you know, you've heard the story that they were radically delivered from alcohol or drugs or smoking or whatever. Every person in that type of testimony has not had everything completely removed. I guarantee you, I've never met somebody who said, you know what? Not only did God take drugs, alcohol, whatever away from me, he took everything away from me and I'm walking a perfect life. They don't exist. Now, that's not, I don't mean they're being disingenuous in their testimony, but what I am saying is that you may hear that part of their testimony, but what you're not hearing is all the other stuff that they're still dealing with, because all of us have something that we're dealing with, and that's the normal part of discipleship, and that's normal. 
So what we need is a transformation at this level. And we talked about the beginning of that last week, how the gospel begins to transform our identity and how that identity impacts the way we think, the way we feel, and the desires we have. The big part of that, of course, is the Word of God. I'm going to write Bible out here. Uh, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on this. Uh, This is a whole different message. But it is so important as a Christian that you're in the Word of God every day. And here's why. It's the Hebrews 4.12 verse. We just talked about it a minute ago. Okay, Hebrews 4.12. All right. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active. It's like spiritual medicine. It's spiritually alive. And what happens is as you read or listen to the Word of God, it gets in you and it starts feeding your spirit. The number one goal of the Word of God is not to inform you. See, a lot of us want to go here. We want the Bible to inform us at the mind level. Now, it does that, and there is information in the Word. There's theology, all that stuff, and that's great. You know, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. But that's not the number one goal. Remember a few minutes ago I said that discipleship and transformation are not about changing what you think. It's about changing how you think. And this is the number one goal of the Bible is to transform you first then to inform you. And how does it do that? The Word of God is living and active. So it's like spiritual medicine, spiritually alive. And it gets in you and starts feeding your spirit. The rest of that verse goes on to say, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a revealer, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, a minute ago we said the heart. Remember, we referenced the heart as the character. Okay, we know what the soul or the spirit is. Okay, it divides between soul and spirit. Here's the division, okay? We know our spirit is completely righteous. Our soul is still infected with that sin sickness or those old lies that we believe about ourselves, about others, the old lies that infect the way we feel and, and the desires we have. But the truth is right here. It's the fully righteous part. So there's a division between the two. The Word of God divides between those two and is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does it reveal? It reveals the sin. I'm going to use a little X here. For the sinful ways or the the sinful thoughts, desires, and feelings that we have that are contrary to the truth. It divides between those two. So it's sort of like a spiritual x-ray. And it shows these, these sinful thoughts, feelings, and actions, or, or desires rather, that are contrary to the truth. It divides between, and it shows, it reveals. It's like a spiritual x-ray. God reveals this and brings those things to the surface. And in bringing those things to the surface, you now are able to identify what is true and what is a lie. Because oftentimes, you know, we have, we're so used to thinking something, unless we see something that's contrary to that, we don't know that what we're thinking is wrong. But when we see that contrast, when we see that division between the truth in our soul and the lie in our spirit, all of a sudden, for the very first time, We have this x-ray to show, hey, there's a division here. There's something wrong. And that's what God wants to do is begin to create this division between your character and your soul. Now, this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up. And this is why the gospel identity is so important. As God begins to reveal these lies, these sinful thoughts, desires, and feelings that are contrary to the truth, If you're not walking in the truth of the gospel identity, what happens is we take this spiritual x-ray from from the perspective of uh, God condemning us for having these sinful thoughts, feelings, or desires. You know, something will come up and go, man, you know, wow, I'm just a, boy, am I a loser for thinking that. 
boy, am I a loser for, for having that desire. But that's not the point. See, the gospel identity means we're whole and complete. And it doesn't, it, it also means that it doesn't matter if we have these in the sense of we're worthy. Because condemnation, what happens is when I see something in me that I don't like or I know is wrong, the natural tendency is for me to condemn myself over, over it or to allow it to be a commentary on my worth. If I was a really good person, I wouldn't have this. Or I wouldn't feel this. Or I wouldn't have that desire. And that's a lie. God does not reveal these things to condemn you. He's saying, I've already made you worthy, but we still need to get some stuff out. It's like going to the doctor, and the doctor does this x-ray, and he puts it up on the whiteboard, uh, you know, that lighted board on the, on the wall, and he or she says to you, hey, there's something in here we need to get out. But the, the doctor doesn't come to you and go say, hey, you're a loser. You got something here, you know, something on your, a spot on your liver. What's wrong with you? They don't do that. If they do, you need a new doctor. Their job is not to condemn you over it, but to bring healing in your life. And that's what God wants to do. These spiritual sin natures, if you will, or lies that we believe in our, in our character, character flaws, if you will, God already knows they're there. He sees them. He brings them to the surface through this revelation of the Word of God. This is why the more you get into the Word, the more you begin to see this division and see these lies and see the, the sinful nature that's still within your soul. But you have to be walking in the gospel identity in order to be able to walk through that. Because if you're not walking in the gospel identity, what's going to happen is you're going to shrink back from that because you think it's a commentary on your worth. But it's not. And the gospel identity will walk you through, not just to, but through that process of God healing you from that. But you've got to allow God to do that. And this is what we talked about last week, is getting to the point where God can transform your character. And that's really what I want to get into next. That's the foundation. Identity, the importance of it, how the gospel gives us a new identity. So let's talk about this process by which God transforms our character. The sin nature that infected our soul creates in us these old thought patterns, feeling patterns, and desire habits. Uh, and I mentioned a minute ago, they're character flaws. And it's really those character flaws that become the foundation of behavior. If there's a behavior going on out here that you don't like or you know needs to change, it is grounded in a character flaw. Meaning, there's some sort of thinking pattern, feeling pattern, or desire pattern that's taking place at the level of character that is driving you to take these sinful actions. The only way to change the sinful action is to experience a transformation at the character level. But in order to experience a transformation at the character level, we've got to be able to allow God to reveal these things, these character flaws within us. And the only way we can do that is if we're walking in the gospel identity. Because, again, if we're not walking in the gospel identity, any character flaw we see becomes a commentary on my worth. But once we're to the point where we're walking into that, that, that gospel identity and God begins to reveal these character flaws, and I'm going to talk about how he does that here in a second, that's when we're perfectly set up to be transformed at the character level. You know, there's a lot of Christians who've been Christians for 10, 15, 20, however many years. You know, I've, I've met Christians who've been, you know, Christians 50 plus years. And those 50 years are true in the sense of a calendar timeline. But in regards to maturity... Just because you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years on a calendar does not necessarily mean 
you are at the maturity level of a Christian who's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, if you will. A lot of Christians, and I'm not going to put a number on it, but it's a, it's a large number as far as a percentage goes. A lot of Christians are really somewhere in the neighborhood of being two to three years old when it comes to spiritual maturity. Now, calendar-wise, they may have ten times that. But when it comes to spiritual maturity, really it's only two to three years old. They've just repeated that second or third year over and over and over. They get stuck at that level. The reason they get stuck at that level is because they're not fully walking in the gospel identity and they're not allowing God to transform their character. Because when God begins to transform your character, he has to reveal these sinful natures or these sinful character flaws. And if I'm not walking in the gospel and any, I'm going to pull back from that. I'm going to shy away from that revelation because it becomes a commentary on my worth. So I get stuck. And I end up living life in this cycle of being stuck at two or three years old, and I just can't seem to get out of it. And I don't know what's going on. Why, you know, I'm going to all these Bible studies. I'm going to church every Sunday. Um, you know, I'm, all, I'm doing all the religious things, but I can't seem to grow. I can't seem to move forward. If you're in that category, this is for you tonight. Tonight, I want to show you how you can get past that two to three-year mark. How to get past that wall or, or, or that place where you seem stuck in. But I'm going to warn you right now, it's not easy. The journey to become a disciple, Jesus made it very clear. He called it the narrow road. He said, wide is the road, and many are on it that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way, and difficult is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And that narrow road is the road of transformation. So let's talk about that narrow road. If you're in that two to three year stuck mark tonight, this is how you can get out of it. By allowing God to begin to move you forward again on that transformation road, on that narrow, difficult way, but it leads to life. So here's how this works. Okay, number one, of course, is the gospel. Number two, you've got to be in the Word. So if you're not in the Word of God consistently every day, that's your number one step right now. The next step you need to take is getting in the Word. Here's why. As you get in the Word, the Word gets in you, and it begins to divide between soul and spirit. It begins to reveal the lies that you believe, the lies that you feel, and the sinful lies that lead, or the, the lies that lead to sinful desires. You have to have that revelation. You cannot skip that process. It's like going to the doctor again, and the doctor says, hey, you've got this thing inside you. I need to go in. We have to do some surgery to get it out. God has to do spiritual surgery on us to get this stuff out. That's why we have to be in the Word of God every day, because it begins that process. As we get into the Word, it begins to reveal these things. And I'm telling you, it's, it's not easy. And you have to remember, as God begins to reveal these character flaws, it's not a commentary on your worth. You, right now, if you're in Jesus, are fully whole and righteous in His sight. So we get in the Word. It begins to divide between soul and spirit, and it begins this process of character transformation. I want to tell you a quick story of recognizing this transformation. Because uh, a lot of us don't recognize it. We, we, we miss what God's doing. Then I'm going to get into the specifics of how God uses all of your life to do this. Gosh, this was probably five, six, maybe seven years ago. Um, uh, I was with a group, we were invited to another church that had a ministry that ministered to uh, women coming out of a, a, a drug background. It was sort of a, a rehabilitation ministry. So we were invited to their church service that night, and at the end of the service, we had the opportunity to pray with all the women. So we're going down the line, and we're just praying over all, all, all the women. And I remember coming to this, this one lady 
And, you know, I'm just praying for her. And she, she was very transparent. And she said to me, she said, you know, I've been here for about six months. And I'm struggling. Right now, she said, right now, I just want to run out those doors and go back to the drugs that, that I was doing before I came here. She said, I have that desire to still do that. I do, and, and I'm just such a loser because of it. You know, I, I don't want to do that anymore, but I still have this desire, and I just can't seem to get rid of it. And, and she was really beating herself up over it. And she felt condemned because of that feeling or that desire to go back to the drugs that, that she had come out of. So I said to her, I said, well, you know, eight months ago, when you were wherever you were, before you came here, you were out on the street doing whatever you were doing, doing the drugs you were doing. I said, eight months ago, if you had this desire you had right now, would you have gone and done whatever it is you wanted to do? She said, oh, yeah, I would have gone off. You know, I knew where, where my dealer was, gone to my dealer, and I would have gone and done my, you know, done my stuff. I said, okay. So you would have done it, and would you, would you have any sort of um, conflict in you over doing it? Would you, would you have felt any resistance? She said, no, I never thought, felt any resistance. I did it, and I, I just did it. I, there was no resistance. I said, okay, so right now you have that same desire, but there's resistance. Why is there resistance? And it was like this light bulb all of a sudden just went off in her head and she dawned on her for the first time. She's looking at the wrong side of the coin. She said, holy cow. She said, I've been so focused on this desire that I've had for so long to go and do drugs. It never dawned on me that all of a sudden now I have a desire not to do drugs. I said, where did that desire come from? And that's when she, for the first time, began to understand she was experiencing transformation. But in this whole aspect is she still had that old desire. And you know, a lot of us have old desires. We have old feelings. We have old thoughts. And too often, we, we allow those thoughts to become commentary on our worth. But what we forget to realize is there's a new thought. There's a new feeling. There's a new desire that's coming in behind it. And we're not out doing the thing as we have this, we have this wrestling match. And a lot of people beat themselves up over the fact they're having this wrestling match. But the reality is the wrestling match is the reality of the fact that there's a new person in you that's saying, Hey, this thing, this desire, this thought, this feeling you have is no longer compatible with the new identity you have. And I want you to catch this tonight. The reality is, if you have a struggle going on, I want you to stop focusing on the negative side of it and start focusing on the positive side of it. This struggle is good. Because what's happening is God is building in you a new person who is incompatible with those old desires. And that new person is the one struggling with the old nature. But you have to see that division. Remember the division between soul and spirit. And that revelation of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yes, you have that old sinful desire. But you also have this new desire. You have this new person, this new identity in you right now that is fighting against it in a way that you can't do on your own. But we have to be willing to allow those things come to the surface. So here's, here's what I want to say to you, is if you're in that struggle right now, I want you to embrace that struggle. I want you to let go of the condemnation that you've been under because of the struggle. And I want you to thank the Lord for the struggle. Because in that struggle, the new you is fighting. And in this struggle, you're seeing the old sinful ways, the old sinful desires you have, and the Lord's saying, hey, 
I'm coming for those things, and I'm going to deliver you from those things. I guarantee it. Because if you weren't struggling, you wouldn't be in the process of delivery. Because you wouldn't have been able to do it on your own. Just like this girl out on the street, you know, eight months before she was in this, in this, this ministry, there was no struggle. She couldn't do it on her own. Now there's a struggle because there's a new her in there because of the gospel. There's a new you in there right now that God is building up. Let me give you a kingdom principle that, that goes right along with this. In the kingdom of God, victory comes before the battle, not after. Well, you say, well, where's that in the, in the Bible? I'll show you exactly where it is. It's in Joshua chapter 6. In, in the story of the, the uh, defeat of Jericho, Joshua and the Israelites are getting ready to go up against Jericho. And the Lord comes to Joshua and says, I have given Jericho into your hands. He didn't say it after the battle. He said it before. That's the kingdom principle. In the kingdom of God, victory comes before the battle, not after. So if you find yourself in a kingdom battle, it's not to earn a victory. It's to enforce the victory God has already given you. God will never lead you into a battle he has not first given you victory over. And this battle for your character is one that is guaranteed to win if you will allow the Lord to walk you through it. If you don't shrink back. And that's the key. And that's what happens in the Christian walk is we get into this battle and we allow it to become a commentary so we shrink back instead of pushing in and pressing in and allowing God to push through this. We have to allow God to walk us through these battles. When David went to meet Goliath, he told Saul and, and the other uh, soldiers, hey, the Lord's already given me victory over the bear and the lion. This is your bear and lion right here. Okay, We talk about that all the time You know, when we talk about David and, and, and Goliath, the private battles versus the public battles. This is where you win your public battle. It's in the private first. If David didn't beat the bear and the lion, he could not beat Goliath. And right now, God is setting you up to be a giant killer by allowing you to defeat your bear and lion, allowing you to overcome your character flaws. Don't shrink back. Press in. Allow the Lord to walk you all the way through this. So that's the aspect here of the, the internal side. There's another aspect of this character transformation that God is walking you through that I, I want you to see. You can't miss this part either because in order to reveal the thoughts and intents of the heart, as you get into the Word, there's something else that God does with your life to begin to reveal those character flaws that are in you. And this is really, really important because when you understand how God uses your circumstances you're, you're never going to look at circumstances the same again. You know, a lot of us look at our circumstances from a victim mentality. We, we look at them as, why is this happening to me? And we allow our circumstances to become a commentary on our worth. And that's just not true. The only commentary on your worth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Jesus, you are worthy. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. So this one, I want to show you how God uses your life. Now, uh, the illustration I use for this is, uh, if you remember when you were in high school or maybe college, and you had um, you know, maybe a chemistry class or a physics class where you had a classroom portion where you learned all the, you know, the book work and all the tests and all that, but you also had a lab portion where you got to go and you got to experiment and work this stuff out and have fun you know, blowing stuff up or whatever. There is the same type of setup in your Christian life. You have a classroom portion, if you will, but there's also a lab portion. That lab portion is your life. It's the circumstances of your life. God uses the laboratory of your life to work out the things he's put in you so you can become the person he's called you to be. So here's how this works. 
Now, I use circles all the time, but in this particular case, this circle is representative of the totality of the circumstances of your life. So here you are in the middle, okay? The big circle is the totality of all the circumstances. The X's are representative of circumstances in your life, whatever they are, okay? Here's God. Now, I don't put God outside your life in that he's outside your life. What I mean is God is sovereign over your entire life. And God either authors, I'm just going to put an A up there, or allows everything that's going on in your life, okay? He either authors it or he allows it. And the Bible is very clear that there is nothing that occurs that God hasn't either authored or allowed, okay? So all these circumstances are occurring in your life. Now, as I said before, we tend to look at life from a victim mentality, so oftentimes we allow the circumstances to become a commentary on our worth, right? These things happen, why do they happen to me? Because I'm a loser. If I was a good person, uh, I wouldn't have all these things happen to me. Well, that's just not true. So first of all, we got to understand that these are not uh, just random life happenings, okay? They're either authored or allowed by God. And as I said a few minutes ago, in regards to um, battle in the kingdom, the principle, the kingdom principle of battle, that God will never leave you, lead you into a battle that he has not first given you victory over. God's never going to allow circumstances in your life to defeat you. Now, he will allow circumstances in your life to reveal things in you, okay? We go back to this aspect of revelation, right? The character flaws, and here's how that works. God will allow sometimes circumstances in your life to begin to reveal in you a response that brings up those old sinful thoughts, those old sinful feelings, those old sinful desires. He allows certain things to occur in order to bring it to the surface in conjunction with the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in revealing the thoughts and intents of the heart. So how does this work? Let me give you a a great example. Uh, This is a personal example. This happened to me um, over a long period of time, actually. Back in, this would have been 97, 1997, a long time ago in a land far, far away. Uh, I was, I'd only been a Christian for about two years. Was working two jobs, just trying to, you know, make enough money to pay rent and all that. But I was getting involved in the church at the time. And moving towards, I just really felt, felt a sense of calling in my life. And I was working with a pastor. He was kind of discipling me. Well, one day I was, I was going to um, turn in some paperwork for, for a conference, and some guy cut me off, and I ended up in, in getting in a car accident. It wasn't my fault, but my car was totaled. Now, at the time, I could barely afford my rent. So, you know, here I am. I've got a car that's totaled. Uh, you know, fortunately, the person had insurance, so called the insurance company, and they gave me a really, you know, my car at that point was really not that expensive. <laughs> so I get this really low check for for the car, and I'm thinking, man, and I fretted. Oh, man, I just, I let that whole circumstance overtake me. You know, we talked uh, about the, the aspect of the seven sons of Siva, where the demon asks them, who are you? And they couldn't answer, so the demon overpowered them. They, they ended up being uh, running away naked and defeated. Well, this circumstance was sort of a commentary and saying, hey, okay, well, let's see who you really are. And I did not have an answer at the time. And I really felt spiritually naked and defeated by this whole circumstance. I'm like, where am I going to get a car? I can't afford a car for the amount of money. And I argued with the, I remember yelling at the insurance agent on the phone. I had to call back later and apologize. It was a mess. Well, eventually, uh, the Lord put a couple people in my life and orchestrated a pathway to uh, a former evangelist who sold me a car for like half what I got for my uh, insurance check, and it was a beater of a car. I'll tell you that right now. It was a beater. It was the, probably the worst car I've ever had. 
But I had that car for about four years. It was held together with duct tape and glue. But it got me from Florida when I moved out here to, to Texas. I don't know how it happened. But the Lord hooked me up with a great mechanic up here. And he used all the duct tape and glue he had until I finally had to get a new car. So it all worked out. Well, about six years ago, I was going to a doctor's appointment. And I was driving down uh, Rosedale. And I was stopped at a, at a, in a line of cars at a stoplight, just stopped waiting, you know, waiting for the light to turn red. I mean, green rather. And I just happened to glance in my rearview mirror and I see this car coming at me full speed. No intention whatsoever to brake. Fortunately, I saw it coming because, you know, when the world turns upside down, I knew what had happened. And sure enough, this will tell you how fast this lady was going. She plowed into the back of me pushed me into the car in front of me, pushed that car into the front of them. So it ended up being a four-car accident. My car totaled. I remember when I got out of that car thinking, oh, man, I really do not have the money to go out and buy a new car. Immediately, I remembered 1997. And I thought, you know what? I've been here before. And this time, I'm not going to act like a victim. And sure enough, within three weeks, the Lord provided a car for the exact amount of money that the insurance provided. No car payments. I actually just ended up getting rid of that car because it finally died on me. Uh, But that car lasted me five years. But this time, I remember getting out of that car going, the Lord's going to deliver me. I know it. And I'm going to position myself this time not to allow those old desires to get overwhelmed, those old feelings to get mad and angry at the insurance, none of that. And I just allowed the Lord to walk me through it as a victor this time. So this is what happens in our lives. It may not be the exact same circumstance like that. But there are going to be circumstances that the Lord brings up, and it's going to bring up these old desires, these old patterns that we've lived through. But this time, the Lord's going to give you an opportunity to overcome it and to walk out of it and walk through it with your gospel identity rather than your old sinful desires, old sinful feelings, and old sinful thoughts. Here's the thing. God does this throughout our entire life. That never goes away. The, the Bible says that the Lord takes us from faith to faith and glory to glory. Well, in that specific instance for me, I went from one level of faith back in 1997 to a completely different level of faith back in, whatever, 2014, 13, whatever it was. Almost the exact same circumstance, completely different level of faith. And I recognized that at the time. Anytime the Lord brings these things back around to you is an indication he knows you're at a new level of faith. But we've got to be able to be willing to walk in that level of faith. The temptation is to go back and do the same thing or to walk in those old ways. But we have to step out. We have to move forward and not shrink back and walk in that new level of faith that the Lord's given us. And if we will... Eventually, the Lord's going to bring something else, and it's going to push us even further. See, this, this, this growth, this spiritual development never stops. It does get easier because you've had the experience. But the worst thing you can do is to stop and not go on. Because if you stop and not go on, you get stuck. And as I said, you know, a few minutes ago that there's a lot of Christians who are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. They're stuck at year two or three or five or whatever because they wouldn't go further. And the Lord will bring circumstances into their lives to get get them to year six, but they're stuck at year five. I don't want you to be stuck anymore. I want you to keep moving forward. This is how God transforms your character. Because here's the thing. I'm going to start wrapping things up here. If you want to walk in your gospel identity, if you want to walk into your kingdom purpose, 
You've got to walk this pathway, this, this narrow road that is difficult. So I'm going to go back to these three circles again. Okay? We have the body, the soul, and the spirit. Righteousness. Put right there. And that's our identity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And then the body. I'm going to overlay something else over here that will bring all of this together. Okay? The gospel is our identity, okay? That's at the core. Again, everybody tends to focus on the behavior part or the actions. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the Christian life is is obeying the Lord and being obedient to what the Lord says. We cannot obey the Lord at the behavior level if the character level hasn't been transformed because our behavior... Is driven by our character. So how is the character level uh, so important? Because the gospel transforms our identity, and it's the fruit of the Spirit that is the foundation of the transformation of our character. It's all that stuff we just talked about. What am I really talking about? I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you think about the fruit of the Spirit for a minute, The fruit of the Spirit are not behavioral actions, they're character traits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where is self-control found? It's right here. It's not here. It's right here. If you want your character to be grounded in self-control, it has to be grounded in the fruit of the Spirit which is a foundation, built on the foundation of the gospel. So you have the gospel, the fruit of the Spirit, which leads to obedience. You want to obey the Lord? Learn to walk in your gospel identity. Allow God to transform your character by building into it the fruit of the Spirit And that will lead to a life of obedience. That's it, right there. That's what discipleship is all about, is God transforming you from the inside out. You want to obey? you got to have the fruit of the Spirit. And all of that is grounded in the gospel. So over the last three weeks, we've talked about identity. We've talked about the importance of identity, how identity transforms our or, um, or, or sorry, how the gospel transforms our identity. And then tonight we specifically talked about how God transforms our character and then how th- all three of them lead to obedience. And I know it's the desire of every Christian to want to obey the Lord because if you're not a Christian, you don't have that desire. I mean, that's a, that's a natural Part of the gospel identity is a desire, I want to obey the Lord. And we get so caught up focusing on the behavioral aspect of obedience that we skip the character transformation part. Behavior is just the fruit of character. And if character is not built on the fruit of the Spirit, your behavior is not going to be obedience. It's going to be something else. It'll be sinful behavior. So what I want to leave you with tonight is, if you, don't, if you don't remember anything out of this message but this, it's this. Number one, in the gospel, you have, made, you have been made completely righteous. Right now, where you sit, stand, whatever you're doing, you are completely righteous. Number two, You need to be in the Word of God every day. Not for information first, but for transformation. Because as the Word gets in you, it divides between soul and spirit. It is a revealer of the character flaws that are in you. In conjunction with God's sovereignty over the circumstances of your life, God will reveal those character flaws, not to defeat you, but to heal you and to Build in you the fruit of the Spirit, which will lead to a life of obedience.
And it's the life of obedience that is the abundant life that Jesus promised. It's, it's the calling for which you were called. It's the purpose for which God placed you on this planet. That's what obedience is. Change your focus. Stop looking at the outside. If you see behavior you need changing, you need to see that needs to be changed, I want you to ask the Lord to change your character. Ask the Lord to give you the focus to allow him to change that character. It's not easy. You know, I've been a Christian now for 20, almost 25 years. Uh, and it took me about 12 to figure this out. <laughs> so the, for the first 12 years, I was really only about one or two, somewhere in that range. Uh, but in the 12th or so year, the Lord began transforming me and, and revealing these things. And man, I'll tell you what, my life has been radically transformed, really, over the last 12 years. I mean, just radically transformed. Uh, but it was in a way that I didn't expect. And it's a way that's born fruit that I didn't expect. You know, my fruit will be different than yours. Pastors is different than, than yours, whatever. Uh, the, the goal, of course, is that you produce the fruit that, call, that God has called you to produce. So I hope over these last three weeks that you have learned the transformation process that God already has you in and it's not that something that's just starting tonight. You're already in it. And I encourage you to embrace it. So if, if, if you're at that point now, you're ready to really embrace this, I want to pray for you. Uh, I, want, I want to encourage you to uh, confess to the Lord that, you know, hey, I've, I've been one to shrink back. I've not embraced this. And I've resisted it, actually. And, you know, I've, I've looked at things from the wrong perspective. I'm sort of like that, that girl who was more focused on her sinful desire than on her true righteous desire that was contrary to the sinful desire. Uh, so tonight, I want you to just confess that to the Lord. And it's okay. God's not going to condemn you over it. I'm not going to condemn you. I've been there. It's not about being condemned. It's about being delivered. So let me pray for you, and I want you to, uh, wherever you're at, you know, whatever you're doing right now, just stop for a few minutes, and I want you to just pray this. Uh, pray with me, and allow the Lord to position you to be transformed. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for each and every person who is hearing this message, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the truth of your word in the truth of your transformation process, Lord, in the truth of the gospel. And, and right now, if you're, if you're listening to this and, and you've, you've recognized that you have, uh, you've not embraced this transformation process, but you've resisted it, I want you to just, just pray this right now. Just say, uh, Father, I'm sorry. I confess that I have resisted you. I've resisted your transformation process. But tonight, I thank you that you have forgiven me. And I commit right now, Father, to receive that revelation of your Holy Spirit. That division between soul and spirit, the revelation of the character flaws that I have. And, and Lord, I ask for your help in not looking at them as commentary on my worth, but as an opportunity to grow and, and exercise the victory you already have put in me. And Lord, I thank you that every circumstance in my life right now is authored or, or, or allowed by you and that it truly is going to serve the purpose of transforming my life. So I recommit myself to you right now. I just recommit my life. I give you everything I am and everything I have. And I place it in your hands. And I thank you, Father, that you will take me from faith to faith 
and glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you, uh, I hope you prayed that prayer tonight, and, and I hope these last three weeks have given you a deeper understanding of the gospel identity, the transformation process, and how God turns you into a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. I've really enjoyed being with you guys, and uh, I encourage you to you know, re-watch these, take notes, do whatever it takes, uh, but don't, don't shrink back anymore. Press in and embrace the discipleship transformation process. God bless you guys. We love you. I look forward to seeing you again soon.